Good morning. My name is Dwayne Arledge. I'm Connections Pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies. It's my privilege today to continue the locally owned and operated uh, sermon series that we're involved in that Pastor Charlie has been preaching for the last several weeks. Today's sermon is entitled, When the Saints Go Marching In. Uh, More about that in just a moment. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Pastor Charlie preached about that passage a few weeks ago. The whole idea of the locally owned and operated church is this. The Lord Jesus Christ is Lord over the church all over the world. He gives us, He calls us to be involved here in this church. You see, I can't be involved uh, personally with the church in Bangladesh, nor can you. But every one of us here in Pueblo can be involved with Fellowship of the Rockies every week and throughout the week. And so, the church that Jesus Christ owns, He's given us the stewardship over so we can have ownership locally and then we can be responsible before God to operate His church locally according to His book. So locally owned and operated today when the saints go marching in. Now, let's start with a, uh, one ground rule for today. Pastor Charlie mentioned it two weeks ago in the baptism sermon, or three weeks ago, whatever. He mentioned this several years ago, and it radically changed how I approach even talking with people about truths from the Bible. And in that sermon, he said something he said many times. Are we going to trust tradition, or are we going to trust the Bible? So today, if you have your notes, if you already have them pulled up on version, or if you have the old school, you already have it pulled up, you have the paper right in front of you, and there's an ink pen on the seat behind you, fill in the blanks on this first statement, because this is the foundation. These are our ground rules for today. Our commitment is this, that we will not trust tradition, and I'm going to add a few words, opinions or feelings. We will not trust tradition, opinions, or feelings. We will trust the Bible. Now that you have that filled in, will you say that with me, please? We will not trust tradition, opinions, or feelings. We will trust the Bible. Now, several years ago, uh, in the early 1980s, actually, I moved from North, my wife and I, my wife Summer and I moved from North Missouri to New Orleans for me to go to seminary. In the first couple of years there, I was just kind of getting adjusted to the personality of the city. And and when you move, if you've been to New Orleans, you know when you go across Lake Pontchartrain, it's almost like you leave the United States. It's a different country than when you go to New Orleans. Well, as I started to get the feel for the personality of the city, I began to realize that the New Orleans Saints fans epitomize what fans really mean. Because the word fan is short for fanatic. And they, are, they were, and probably remain to this day, some of the most fanatical fans in all of footballdom. And I began to see every year the eternal return of hope uh, that they were, this was the year they were going to the Super Bowl. Now, it didn't happen for 43 years. In 2010, they did. And they went in a big way. But in the days I was there in the early 1980s, 
Uh, you know, they had one of the few domes, and it was super, super noisy inside that dome when all those fans turned loose in there. And every year, they would say, when the saints go marching in, and they would sing that song, and that was one of their songs. In fact, uh, in about 1982 or three, I forget which year it was, some local jazz musicians, some prominent jazz musicians, and a bunch of the football players from the New Orleans Saints, they all looked like offensive and defensive linemen because they were huge, but did a, recorded a song, did a video of when the Saints go marching in. And, it, you know, they're, they're all marching down the streets and right into the Superdome to go to the football game. When the Saints go marching in. Now, a little history. When the Saints go marching in is like the national anthem of New Orleans. It's a song that you can play on Sunday morning in church. Sunday afternoon at one of the jazz funerals going down through the French Quarter, you can play the same song. And that night in the jazz clubs, you can play the same song. So it's, it's like one of their national anthems. Well, they did a recording of when the saints go marching in, and in the middle of it, these huge football players come, you know, come on the screen, and they're all going, who that? Who that? Who that say they're going to beat them saints? Who that? You know, and they just go, it, it swept the city. Now, if you're not from New Orleans, who dat, you know, means who is that, okay? You just don't say it that way in New Orleans. Uh, they also, uh, they don't say, how you doing? They go, where you at? And I go, well, I'm standing right here, I think. And they go, no, no, I mean, where you at? So, so New Orleans is a bit different than that. But the, this who dat thing caught on. Who dat say they're going to beat them saints? And they all go marching into the Superdome. And every year, in those days now, Every year, it became apparent early in the season who that was going to beat them saints was the next week's opponent. <laughs> it, it was sad. It was hard to be a saints fan in those days. And so, within a few weeks, some of the more faint-hearted of the fans, there were the diehards, that if, if they went, I think in those days, they were only playing 14 games. So they would go like, they wouldn't even win seven games, okay? A big season was when they won half their games in those days. Yeah, next year's going to be the year, the diehards would say. But there were a bunch of fans who weren't diehards. Three, four, five games in, they got discouraged, disgusted, and they started calling them, each year, they would call them the New Orleans Aints instead of the New Orleans Saints. Now, I think we face the very same dilemma every day as Christians. Our performance is not always that great. You're no different than I am. Some days we do better than others, don't we? Some days we do worse than others. And so if we depend on our feelings or opinion polls from other people who are watching us not do so well on certain days in, in not sinning, then we will begin to wonder, am I a saint or am I a sinner? So on your notes... There's a little statement. I am a blank. I want you to write in your answer. Is it saint or is it sinner? I am a. You write it. Now, don't cheat. Don't look at the neighbor's paper. Husbands, wives, don't make each other change your answer. Last night, one lady wrote down one answer, and her daughter looked over and, and frowned like that, and she quickly scribbled through it and changed it to the other answer. Then after her daughter quit looking, she scribbled through it again and changed it back to her first answer. <laughs> Have the courage to just put your answer down, Okay. Are you a saint, a sinner? You make the choice. You write it down, and then 
Let's look today at what Scripture says about that. I've been doing a little homework on this for about two years. That question came up in the life group I was leading a little over two years ago. And it was almost like they had a religious experience when I said, well, do you see yourself as a saint or as a sinner? People in the life group who never talked, never, hardly ever spoke up, all of them immediately says, oh, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm a bigger sinner than you. I'm exaggerating there. But, but they all immediately said, oh, I'm a sinner. And so I've, that, that launched me on this study. And I ask people intentionally, I go to people who say, I've been born again. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I'll ask them, do you see yourself as a saint or a sinner? And it often depends on how well they're doing that day. What their answer is. It's possible your answer just a few moments ago, whatever you wrote down or whatever you locked in your mind, is the kind of answer I gave very early in my Christian life for the first few years. You see, I had prayed to receive Christ, and I knew He came in, and He offered me eternal life. And I knew my performance was struggling to measure up to anybody's standard. And so I thought, surely, I couldn't possibly be a saint because those are the super holy people. And that doesn't describe me. But here's what I want to challenge you to remember. We made the commitment up front on purpose. We're not going to trust tradition, opinions, or feelings. We're going to trust the Bible. And so let's find out what the Bible says about this saint versus sinner dilemma that we wrestle with every day. I, I want to give answers to three questions today that should help us from Scripture, not from tradition, not from opinions, not from feelings, but the answer to three questions. The first place I want you to go in the Bible, please, is to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, in your e-Bibles e or whatever, if you would open that, please, and look at it with me because I want you to see it. And then I want you to be able to highlight some of the things so when you come back to that Scripture in the future, when you're life journaling or whatever, then you will remember what God taught you out of this passage of Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, the first question is this, what is a saint? If I'm interested in being one or becoming one, or if I'm even interested in knowing why I'm not one, I should know what one is. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and with Timothy our brother. Paul and Timothy are writing to this church in Colossae. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He begins the letter like this, just like we would say, dear saints and faithful brothers. Now, he's not addressing two different groups. He's just saying saints and faithful brothers. Those are kind of parallel phrases. But the word saints, as I search and look it up, means this, holy ones, those who are made holy. Pay close attention. It doesn't say holy because they are inherently holy. It says made holy. So, Paul, in my mind, when I first read this, I think he must be writing to the one or two or three super Christians in the church, some of the, the leaders, the upper echelon of the church. But the Holy Spirit knew that people like Dwayne Arledge would be reading this and go, hmm, that must not mean me. 
uh, so I don't have to pay attention to this because he's writing to those super Christians. The Holy Spirit knew, so he had the Apostle Paul keep on writing to explain who the saints were. Let's look at verses 3 through 6, and it will tell us. In fact, several times he'll tell us in these few verses, few sentences, who saints are. Verse 3, he goes on. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. So there must be a bunch of those saints. And he just told us there who these saints were, the ones who have faith in Christ Jesus. When we come to realize that we have indeed sinned and we are sinners and we need somebody to take care of that problem so we can have forgiveness and a relationship with God, the way we do that according to Scripture is to have faith in Christ Jesus. That is, we come to Him and say, I need forgiveness of sins. You're the only one who can forgive my sins. And I need someone to take over my life because I haven't done well spiritually with running my life. And so we place our faith in Him. And when we place our faith in Him, the Bible teaches He comes in and He gives us new life, a new birth. We are born again. Now, He keeps just building the evidence here. Let's go ahead. Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now remember in Scripture, hope is not some pipe dream, but hope is a reality of something that's going to come in the future that when God promises it, we can have real hope in it because it is going to happen. So the one who places their faith in Christ has hope laid up in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. In other words, you've already heard about this. This hope in heaven is not some new thing. But you've heard about it, you've believed in Christ, and you have this hope laid up for you. Verse 6, the gospel which has come to you. So the gospel came to them. They exercised faith in the gospel. These people are born-again believers. And he's calling them saints. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it does among you. So not only did they believe, but he's saying God is working. God is bearing spiritual fruit in you. So he keeps giving us more evidence that when he calls these people saints, they're born-again believers like you and like me. Uh, he says, bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Listen, that is just a lengthy description of a person like you or like me who has believed on Jesus Christ for salvation and has been born again. Paul when he says this to the saints, he's obviously talking about every born-again Christian in the church in this city, not just a few of the super-Christians who are above all of us. So, we're not going to believe tradition, opinions, or feelings. We're going to believe the Bible. Here's what tradition says. Tradition says that a saint is a person that the upper leaders, echelon, the hierarchy of a church gets together and they look over the facts or the miracles or the whatever of people's lives. And they take a few of those people and, to, and vote to elevate them to a status that is above everyone else. That's what tradition says a saint is. The Bible here very simply says a saint is what God calls every born-again believer. He has made them holy. He has given us His righteousness. Don't ever for one second misunderstand and think that when we come to Christ, suddenly 
We have merit. We deserve to be forgiven and made to be saints. We don't. It's a gift He gives us, but it is absolutely free, and it's a for real gift that He gives us. Now, you might be saying, well, that's just one place in the Bible, Dwayne. Uh, how do you build all of that belief on that one place? I challenge you, if you don't have a Bible study uh, software to look it up, there, there are tons of them on the internet, blueletterbible.org, and you just search, and you can find some place on the internet where you can look up how many times in the New Testament the word saints is used. It will be at least 60 times. I read all of them a few weeks ago as I began preparation for this, and every one of those times, the 60 plus times in the New Testament that the word saints is used, it's used in this very same way to describe those who have believed and been born again. Not just a few super holy people. 20 times or more in the Old Testament the word is used, and it's used in the same manner in the Old Testament. That's well over 80 times in scriptures. That's a lot of times, and it's used the same way every time. Let me read just a few of these for you, a couple out of the Old Testament and a couple out of the New. In Psalm verse, uh, 30, verse 4, the Bible says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, the holy ones, the ones who are made holy, and give thanks to His holy name. Psalm 37, verse 28, says it this way, He, God, will not forsake His saints, the ones He has made holy. They are preserved forever. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he says a very similar thing to what we just read for the church in Colossae. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called saints. That to be is kind of added in. Somebody added that in to make the sentence flow. But listen, I could be called to be a saint and not be that. But in the original language, actually, there it says, to those who are in Rome who are called saints. Who called them saints? God did. The Lord did. And so, in Romans 8, verse 27, says this. This is a great promise for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What that means is, I'm praying for something, and you've done this too. We pray for something that's not really what would be best for us. It's just what we want at that moment. And this says, the Holy Spirit is going to pray for me according to the will of God. He's going to pray for the saints according to the will of God. So I'm praying for a new Mercedes, and God is praying for, uh, the Holy Spirit's praying for me to be content with what I have. Okay, you see how that goes? He's praying the will of God, and I may or may not be, but he's always praying the will of God for me. Going ahead, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, made holy, who have placed their faith in him, called saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. We're called saints, and everybody everywhere on the face of the earth who's called on the Lord is called a saint. Finally, in Ephesians, Paul starts this letter the same way. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. And there are over 50 other times in the New Testament talks about saints, always referring to those who've accepted Christ as their Savior. The question was... What is a saint? The answer is one who has been born again, who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And God calls those people saints. Second question. 
What is a sinner? The word in the New Testament for sinner paints a picture. And here's the picture. Some distance away, there is a target. It's close enough that one can see it very clearly. It's not hidden by branches or other things. It's clear. It's in the open. The archer pulls back the bow, aims the arrow, and releases it and misses the whole target. I didn't say misses the bullseye, misses the whole target. The word for sinner or sin in the New Testament is that picture. One who fires at the target, shoots at the target, and misses the whole thing. That's what sin is. The person's trying on their own to measure up to God's standard of holiness. In Romans 3, verse 23, there's a word picture of this. It says this very simply, for all, all means how many? Oh, sorry, I didn't warn you, did I? All means how many? All, everybody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody measures up to what God's standard is on our own. In John 3, the Bible says this in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and then it gives the flip side of that. Whoever does not obey the Son, some translations say whoever does not believe, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In other words, the person who chooses to never embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they will spend eternity separated from God. So that's the picture of one who misses the mark, trying to measure up in their own strength. What can we do about this sin problem? Verse 36 here has, right in in the first part of the verse, gives us the simple answer. Whoever believes, that's not a head knowledge. That's not somebody who says, oh, I believe God exists. Oh, I believe Jesus also exists uh, and that he is God's son. That's someone who believes to the point that they'll place their faith in Jesus Christ to be their Lord, their Savior. It's a personal thing. It's not an existence of God. And that is what takes care of the sin problem. Now, let me also, before we move on from this what is a sinner thing, dispel an idea many of us have had about God. Often people describe God as it relates to sin as this judgmental guy up in the sky somewhere who is just waiting high above us when we sin to reach down and smack us. And remind us that we just did something wrong. Let's look in the Bible. In Luke 15, will you open to Luke 15, please? Luke chapter 15, there are three examples of things that are valuable, that are lost. In the Bible, when it talks about people who are sinners, who haven't yet given their life to Christ, it uses the term lost. And so in Luke chapter 15, there are three stories that illustrate how valuable, uh, the value God places on what is lost. First, the lost sheep then lost money, and then a lost son. We're going to look at the one that speaks about lost money because it also speaks about uh, what God view, how God views sinners. So, verse 8. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently till she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin I had lost. Just so... I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner 
who repents. Repent means I'm going this way and I do a 180 and I go this way. I turn back to God. I give my life to Him. So here's the attitude of God toward sinners. He searches diligently for them and He rejoices when they repent and give their life to Him for Him to be God and Lord over their lives. Third question, what makes a saint different? And it's not just one thing. I want to give you five things quickly. These aren't the only things the Bible says about it, but these are five important things the Bible says about that saint, the person who's given their life to Christ, he's given them his righteousness, so now they can take that title of saint, not in their own uh, uh, merit, but because he gave it to them. Five things. First, a saint is different because, not because of performance, but because of position. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so when we come to Christ, we are placed in Christ. He lives in us, and the Bible says we are placed in Him. That is, we're in His family, we're adopted into His family, and never, ever kicked out of the family. He, Jesus called it eternal life. Eternal means forever. So, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, or the new is coming. New life has been given to us. So, if you're measuring your performance to see if you still deserve to be in the family or not, you're always going to be a wreck. And you'll start to think, I don't deserve this, therefore, maybe I'm not a Christian any longer. You start trusting feelings about your performance. Listen, you've heard people say, don't, don't believe everything you hear. I want to go beyond that. Don't believe everything you think. You can't trust yourself. Trust the Bible. John Piper says it this way. John Piper's a, a, an author and a pastor. In his book, Full, Finally Alive, he says this way. My feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's Word defines truth. And many times my feelings are out of sync with the truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure... I plead with God, transform my feelings so they are in sync with the truth. What a great prayer for each one of us to pray. It's not your performance. It's your position in the family. He made you his child forever. The second thing that makes a saint different is this. It's not the absence of sin in our lives. We don't become perfect. But it is our attitude towards sin. In the book of Jude, verse 23 says it this way. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy. He's speaking about how we relate to people who need to know Jesus. Hating even the garments stained by the flesh. The flesh always refers to sin in the Scripture, our flesh. So he's saying, even clothing that has to do with sin, we should have, we have a hatred for it, because God has placed a different heart, a different attitude in us as believers. The next thing, it's not absence of sin, but it is the ability to have victory over sin that we've never had previously. Romans chapter 8 speaks about this. In verse 37, the Apostle Paul said this, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. That's the word there is like hyper conquerors. Through Him who loved us. We're, we're conquerors through Jesus Christ, not through ourselves, not because of our own strength. Then he says, I'm sure that neither, listen to the list, death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, 
And in case he missed anything, he said, or anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He lives in us. He gave us his Holy Spirit. And that gives us the ability to have victory over sin. It's not absence of sin. Also, it's an, the next thing is it's, we have an advocate with the Father. First John 2 says this. My little children, he's writing to a church and he calls them his little children, the Apostle John. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if, and the if here really means but when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know what advocate means? Defense attorney. If you've ever hired a defense attorney, you've never hired one like Jesus Christ. The best defense attorney anybody has ever hired is not 1% of the quality of defense attorney Jesus Christ is before the Father for you and for me when we've been born again. He is our advocate. Listen, when you don't yet know Jesus in a personal way, you don't have that advocate with the Father. That is a major difference for every believer. The last one. There's no condemnation, only conviction. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says it this way. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That means none. It doesn't exist for those who are in Christ Jesus, the one who's been born again. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let me give you the picture. Condemnation is from the enemy, Satan. It tells you you're a terrible Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian at all. You should stay away from church. You shouldn't read the Bible. You should quit pretending to be a Christian. I had a lady tell me after the 9 o'clock service, I came to church today because of some things happening this week in my life, and I started to sing and worship the Lord, and I thought, the way you've acted this week, you shouldn't even be worshiping the Lord. And after the message, she, this truth, she began to realize that worshiping the Lord was the very way to get past that, those feelings of not being worthy, but to actually step into who she is in Jesus Christ. That's condemnation when we're repelled. Conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, Dwayne, that's sin. It doesn't, it doesn't bring glory to God, and it hurts you. If you'll let me, I'll put you back on track. And I'll restore you to where you need to be in order to be whole and healthy spiritually. Simply put is this. A relationship with Jesus is the only difference between a saint and a sinner. But that relationship is everything. He forgives us. He adopts us into the family. He makes us a saint. You might be like I was in the early days of being a Christian so caught up in wrong belief and opinions and feelings that I believe that instead of the Bible. Or maybe you're one of those people who is considering giving your life to Jesus Christ and you're like someone I spoke with this week. Well, I'm not sure about giving my life to Christ because there's a, there's a sin in my life that um, I'm wrestling with and my question was this, how do you ever gain the power to overcome any sin apart from Jesus Christ? The only way we have the power to overcome that sin is to give ourselves to Him. Don't trust opinions. Don't trust feelings. Don't trust tradition. Trust the Bible.